0: Hello everybody and welcome to Charts with Dan. We are packed with stuff to talk about this week, the big debut of Black Adam, the almost historically bad second weekend of Halloween ends, and so much more. Before we get to any of that though, I want to thank my partner here on the show, as always, Carbon Health. We are rounding the corner very quickly into cold and flu season and Carbon Health has so many services that you can take advantage of, not just vaccines and immunizations, but also as a healthcare provider. You can download the Carbon Health app right now to see if there is a Carbon Health location near you. If there's not, you can do things like virtual appointments. And if you live in California, you can even make Carbon Health your primary care provider. Carbon Health also keeps a number of appointments open every single day for walk-ins because they realize that you can't always schedule your medical care. You can check all that stuff out and so much more on the Carbon Health app. And I wanna thank them as always for being a great partner with me here on the show. Let's turn now to the box office for this past weekend. And the big headline, of course, is the debut of Black Adam, which looked like it was gonna come in below expectations, but ended up coming in above expectations, fueled largely by a very positive audience response, but not so much a critical one. dive into that in just a moment. Let's look at the box office first of all. This is the top five for the previous weekend, October 21st through the 23rd, and Black Adam's final number came in at just over $67 million, $67 million, dollars Another movie, our second place movie, also exceeded expectations. The George Clooney, Julia Roberts rom-com Ticket to Paradise came in at $16.5 million. In third place in its fourth week of release, taking a 32.6% drop is the horror film Smile, which actually bested the second week of Halloween Ends, which took an 80% drop from week one. We have a lot more to say about that in just a few minutes. And then rounding out the top five was Lyle Lyle crocodile and its third week with a 43% drop. So let's dive into a few things here. First of all, Black Adam, which was a really strong debut. Again, stronger than a lot of people had expected. When they got the preview numbers on Thursday night, people were saying like, "Oh, well, it might come in a little bit lower than where we thought it was, but it had a very strong Friday, a very strong Saturday, and good word of mouth, which equaled a big, strong box office showing. A lot of it is science, and a lot of it's not really science. If you make a movie that audiences respond to, generally, it will do fairly well. This was also a big weekend for Dwayne The Rock Johnson as a solo film star. These are the top five openings for movies that feature. Dwayne Johnson domestically, and you can see that it is dominated by entries in the Fast and Furious franchise, which while he was a key part of the ensemble, he was never the lead. At number one is Furious 7 with its $147.1 million debut, followed by The Fate of the Furious with $98.7 million. Fast and Furious 6 comes in third with $97.3 million, followed by Fast 5 with $86.1 million, and The Mummy Returns going all the way back to the turn of the century with $68.1 and that's unadjusted for inflation. But when we look at this through the lens of movies starring Dwayne Johnson, when I say starring, I mean he's on the poster when the credits roll, the first name you see is Dwayne Johnson. This was a career high for The Rock. Black Adam with its $67 million opening. Topps, Hobbs, and Shaw, which seems like it opened forever ago, but that was just pre-pandemic, with $60 million. Jumanji The Next Level is right behind with $59.2 million, followed by San Andreas with $54.5 million. And then G.I. Joe Retaliation, going back about a decade, with its $40.5 million opening. You might say, well, wait a minute, where's Moana? Dwayne Johnson actually did not get top billing in Moana. He was not the first person credited. So Moana does not count for this chart. We've talked a lot on this show about Dwayne Johnson, the fact that some of his movies open well, some of them open not so well, and there have been persistent questions about his ability to carry a movie on his own. Well, now we have a career best for him and a superhero franchise to boot that he has his own personal stamp all over. So this was a very significant step, I think, in his feature film career outside of being in an ensemble. We know he operates really well in an ensemble. Now he's asserting himself even more. Black Adam wasn't just one of the best openings for Dwayne Johnson. It was also one of the best openings domestically for the month of October. You can see that Joker still has the number one opening all time with $96.2 million followed by Venom Let There Be Carnage from last year with just over 90 million, the original Venom film with 80.2 million, 2018's Halloween with 76.2 million, and then you see Black Adam with its total of just over $67 million. But the box office wasn't the only story that people were talking about when it comes to Black Adam this weekend. The other news story being the difference between the critical response to Black Adam and what appears to be the audience response to Black Adam. I gave Black Adam a positive review, but it was very, mixed, and the scores, critically, have been sinking all weekend from around 50% to now under 40%. Unfortunately, this is something that's happened plenty of times to movies in and out of the DC Universe, but what makes Black Adam a little bit different in this case is the stark difference between the critical score and the audience score Especially on Rotten Tomatoes. These are the 10 highest-rated DC films of all time when judged by the all-audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. The number in blue on the left is the Rotten Tomato audience score. The number in orange on the right is the critic score, the tomato meter. And you can see at number one, the Dark Knight has a 94% audience score and a 94% tomato meter score, followed by Batman Begins, which has a slightly higher audience score, 94%, versus the tomato meter at 84%. But the big news is that as a- of right now, Black Adam is the third highest rated movie of all time, not just in the DC universe, but anything based directly off a DC comic with a 92% audience score and a 39% tomato meter. And look, as you can see, that is the biggest disparity between those two numbers of any other film on this chart, The Dark Knight Rises, just a 3% difference between audience score and tomato meter. The other big disparity on here is Joker, an 88% audience score and a 68% tomato meter score. So that's a 20% gap, but still fresh and fresh. Just a three point gap for Batman, Mask, and the Phantasm. Just a two point gap between the Batman. Superman the movie actually has a little bit higher of a tomato meter score than an audience score, but still just a seven point gap there. A nine point gap gap on Batman 89 and a 10 point gap on Wonder Woman. But when you look at Black Adam, a 53 point gap between its tomato meter score and its audience score. But is this a trend? Is it something that happens a lot where a movie will get a low tomato meter score from DC specifically and get a high audience score? Well, when we look at the numbers, that doesn't exactly bear a whole lot of fruit. These are the 10 lowest rated DC films by Tomato Meter, along with Black Adam, which ties for 11th lowest. As you can see, most of the time, the audience score and the tomato meter generally agree. The worst reviewed DC film of all time is Catwoman, with 8%, tied with Supergirl, which also also has 8%. You can see the audiences largely rejected those films as well. Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, Batman and Robin, Steel and Jonah Hex all have very low tomato meter scores and audience scores. The first movie with a big difference between the audience score and the tomato meter is Suicide Squad. There's a 32 point gap there, but basically that means that the critical rating of Suicide Squad is very rotten and the audience rating is just barely rotten. So yes, there is a difference, but it doesn't Drastically changed the reaction to the movie. You see, the audiences are actually a little more kind to Green Lantern as well, a 19-point gap between the tomato meter and the audience, but that's still rotten and rotten. Batman V Superman has a 34-point gap between the tomato meter and the audience score. That means the critics rated it very rotten, and audiences rated it just barely fresh. So we do have a flip there from rotten to fresh. But look at Black Adam, a 39% tomato meter score, a 92% rotten tomato audience score that's a 53 point difference as I mentioned before and it is by far the biggest gap between the tomato meter and the audience score that we see on Rotten Tomatoes. So this is not a case where a bunch of DC films come out, and they all are received warmly by audiences and not so much by critics. There is something in particular about Black Adam that seems to have really energized audiences and really turned off critics. And in my own personal opinion, I think that Black Adam is a fairly generic, right down the middle superhero film. But I think it also had a lot of very big positives about it, and it might just be that the audience is responding to those positives more than critics are. It may be that they're going out on the high of the big cameo at the end of the film, which may have boosted the scores, or it may just be that this is a case where critics just aren't impressed with a movie that audiences really, really like. That's certainly not rare, but again, the degree here... Is something that I think is really noteworthy. It's also possible that over time that Black Adams score is going to go lower, but it didn't really do that at all this weekend. So that'll be something to keep an eye on as well. The cinema score wasn't quite as positive as the reviews that we're seeing off of Rotten Tomatoes. It got a B, which is certainly not terrible, but doesn't put it up there in the league with some of the best received superhero films of all time. But at the end of weekend one, it's pretty clear that so far this is a win for DC. This is a win for Dwayne Johnson and the eyes. To many audience members, it's a win. And I think that it's gotten people energized about the future of the DC Cinematic Universe, which is also a good thing. So generally, I think if you're a Warner Brothers for the next few days, you're going to kind of bask in the glow of this and then hope that Black Adam is able to keep on performing for the next couple of weeks. Of course, we have another huge comic book movie that is entering the stratosphere in early November, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, that is probably going to take a lot of those dollars away from Black Adam. So what Warner Brothers is hoping is that it can kind of suck all the oxygen out of the room for that market until Black Panther hits in just a couple weeks. Let's look at a couple of the other movies in the top five before we move on to the rest of the top 10. I did wanna know briefly that Ticket to Paradise not only exceeded its expectations, but it also was one of the top five highest opening original films for 2022, original meaning that it's not based directly off of pre-existing source material. Nope, still remains number one, followed by The Lost City, Smile at number three, Don't Worry Darling at number four, and then now at number five, Ticket to Paradise, so a win for comic book films and a win for original films at the one and two spots at the box office. But I also want to talk about Halloween Ends. We said last week that things certainly didn't look good. The fact that it was available on streaming, it didn't have great word of mouth, it came in below expectations, and it really fell off a cliff in Weekend 2. An 80% drop, which is one of the biggest drops ever. Just how big is it? Well, let's put it into perspective a little bit. The good news is that it is not in the top five biggest drops for any movie in wide release. And when I say wide release, I I mean movies that are playing on 1,000 screens or more. There are five other films that had bigger weekend two drops in the box office history, or at least as far as we have it recorded. At number one is a movie from 2016 that I don't even remember existing called Collide, which opened in over 1,000 theaters, but dropped 88.5% in its second week. Jane Got a Gun, which is a very troubled Western, went through many directors and actors, etc. It opened in over 1,000 theaters and dropped 83.5% in its second week geely the infamous ben affleck jennifer lopez comedy dropped 81.9 percent in its second weekend the keanu reeves film replicas dropped 81.5 percent and then the oldest movie on this list return to the blue lagoon a questionable sequel to a questionable original film dropped 80.8 percent in its second weekend back in the 90s. Of course, most movies now play in more than 1,000 theaters, so what about movies that played in 2,000 or more theaters? Well, by that measure, Geely takes the cake with an 81.9% drop. Replicas is at number two with an 81.5% drop, followed by 2009's Friday the 13th, which dropped 80.4%, and Michael Myers should really be shaking hands with Jason Voorhees because that kept him at number four. Halloween ends squeaking into that number four spot with its 80% drop, 80% flat, followed by Playmobil the movie, remember that movie? I don't, and it dropped 78.1% in its second weekend. But there's even more context to add because most movies don't just play in 2000 plus theaters anymore. We are now in the era of 3000 or more theaters and honestly with the biggest releases, 4,000 or more theaters. Now, Halloween Ends did not break that 4,000 theater mark, and they're probably going to be pretty happy that they didn't. So these were the biggest second weekend drop-offs for a movie that played in 3,000 theaters or more. Again, Michael Myers saved by Jason Voorhees because Friday the 13th still barely holds that top spot with an 80.4% drop. Halloween Ends is in second place, so the second worst drop For a movie playing in 3,000 theaters or more with 80%. Followed by Mortal Engines. Do you remember Mortal Engines? They wanted to start a whole franchise with that movie. It dropped 76.8%. Then we have another movie at number 4 that was released this year. The more fun stuff version of Spider-Man No Way Home. Which was released in conjunction with National Cinema Day. It dropped 75.3% in it's second weekend. And then Fifty Shades of Grey banked a lot of money in it's first weekend. But dropped 73.9% in its second weekend. One final bit of context that I want to add, because a lot of these movies with the big drops opened in 7th or 8th or 10th place. These are the biggest drops for movies that opened number one. Once again, Michael Myers being saved by Jason Voorhees, Friday the 13th, the biggest second weekend drop for a number one opening film of all time, followed by Halloween Ends with its 80% drop Another film from this year again, Dragon Ball Super Superhero, with a 77.8% drop in Weekend 2. Then The Devil Inside at 76.2%, and Texas Chainsaw, which was originally titled Texas Chainsaw 3D, at 75.7%. And this is why, when you hear me talk about on the show a horror movie drop, look at that trend. Other than Dragon Ball Super Superhero, four horror movies that opened number one and then took a 75 plus percent drop in weekend two. That's largely why they make these movies so cheaply, because this is a trend not just for these films, but for a lot of horror movies. Smile is the exception to the rule. A vast majority of horror movies will come out, they will play big in the first weekend, a lot of them will disappoint audiences and then drop off a cliff in weekend two. So you've got to bank that money early and that's the business model for a lot of horror films. Some people, of course, will say that Halloween Ends dropped off the face of the earth so much because it was also available day and date on streaming. I will say that I went back and looked at all of the other day and date releases from this year and from last year, and this was the worst drop-off in its second weekend of any movie that was available day and date. And that's including movies that were on bigger streaming services like HBO Max. Peacock's still a fairly small streaming service. So I think you could say that day and date streaming played a role And Halloween ends dropping 80% in Weekend 2. But I think the quality of the movie and the word of mouth probably played a much bigger role. So not a great way to go out box office-wise for Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. We'll see what they do with this franchise. Perhaps they will wait and bring it back. Friday the 13th, they haven't brought back since that disastrous second weekend back in 2009. Will Michael Myers be at rest for that long? Only time will tell. Let's look at the rest of the top five for this past weekend. The Woman King drops out of the top five, but remains at number six with a 49.3% drop and a $1.8 million total. This is a really fascinating box office story. Terrifier 2, in its third week of release, Another increase in business. It increased 70.4% with an increase in its screen count as well to $1.7 million. I've heard reports that it is going to actually go into wide release this weekend. So it'll be in over 1,000 theaters. And this is the old stuff. Folks, this is the way that movies used to come out. You play on a small amount of screens, you do okay, you let the word of mouth build, you go onto more screens, you do better the second weekend, you go onto more screens, you do better the third weekend. So we'll see if Terrifier 2 can keep up this momentum, but this is impressive. You don't see a whole lot of movies that actually succeed with this model, and this is peaking at the right time. You have a movie with a lot of buzz that's doing better on successive weekends, that's going into wide release leading into the Halloween holiday. That's a pretty good business plan, and kudos and a tip of the cap to everybody that were able to execute this plan for Terrifier 2. At number eight is Don't Worry Darling. In its fifth week, it dropped 61.2% with a sub-$1 million gross of $867,000. Amsterdam has another big drop in its third week, 70% with an $824,000 gross. And finally, in week three, another movie that is increasing business week over week, Triangle of Sadness, which started in very limited release, is slowly adding theaters. It had an 80.2% increase in business from last week and is able to break into the top 10 with a $601,000 total. Now, you'll notice for the first time since May, there's a movie that I did not mention when I was talking about the box office top 10, and that is Top Gun Maverick. Because when we look at the movies that dropped out of the top 10 this weekend, Barbarian, after six weeks, drops out of the top 10. Bros, after an extremely disappointing three weeks, also drops out of the top 10. But Top Gun Maverick after 21 weeks, has now dropped out of the domestic top 10, one of those runs that you just don't see anymore. And it's one of those runs that we're not likely to see again anytime soon. A 21-week run in the top 10 that essentially spanned the entire summer movie season into the fall, well into the fall. And just to illustrate how impressive this achievement is for Top Gun, this is a list of the movies that entered and exited the top 10 during the 21 weeks that Top Gun Maverick remained in the top 10. There are 38 movies here, and as you can see by all the asterisks, the majority of them not only entered and exited the top 10 while Top Gun Maverick was still in theaters, they also came out on physical media. There are movies that shared a multiplex with Top Gun Maverick that now are on the shelves of people at home as the movie is just now exiting the top 10. I'm not going to say that's unprecedented because that's the way that movies used to work, but it has been a very long time since we've seen a movie that has been able to do that. The biggest hit of Tom Cruise's career and a lot of people's favorite movie of 2022. So congratulations, Top Gun Maverick. What a run in the top 10, 21 weeks. Um, It's going to be a very, very long time. I honestly don't know if I'll ever be sitting in this chair or any other chair talking about a movie in the top 10 for that long. Overall, the overperformance of the top too at the box office and the strength of some of the movies that are still there propelled us for the first time since the summer over the $100 million mark domestically for the weekend at the box office. We also passed where we were this time last year after falling far short for the last few weeks, and we are very close to the average of what the box office was doing from 2015 through 2019 pre-pandemic. So it turns out that when studios put movies with big stars that are well marketed in theaters, people are still going to go see them. It's shocking that they seem to have forgotten that from August all the way almost through October but we have a lot of high profile movies that are coming out from basically now through the end of the year so let's see if we can get that green line up over the orange line over the blue line and close out the year strong because the third quarter of 2022 was pretty bleak I'm not gonna lie When we look at the domestic fall holiday box office, so this is gonna be everything from Labor Day to the end of the year, Smile remains the number one movie of the fall so far with $84.4 million. It's got a legitimate chance to break $100 million, which is really impressive for a movie that is A, an original horror film, and B, produced on a budget as small as it was Black Adam debuts at number 2 on the fall holiday box office list it will likely take over the top spot next week with its $67 million total that drops The Woman King down one spot to number 3 with $62.8 million Halloween End stays at number 4 with $54.1 million Don't Worry Darling drops down two spots to number 5 with $44.2 million. Barbarian drops one spot to number 6 Lyle Lyle Crocodile drops one spot to number 7 The Avatar re release is listed as new on this chart but it was actually an oversight by me i did not add it it wasn't on my initial list of movies that i was looking at when i generated this chart so it is on the chart at number eight with 24.7 million dollars ticket to paradise debuts at number nine on the chart with 16.5 million dollars and amsterdam drops three spots to number 10 with 13.9 million that drops bros see how they run and pearl out of the domestic fall holiday box office top 10. Black Adam did great in thousands of theaters around the country, but we also had a really strong debut from a movie that was in only four theaters. And we can see that by looking at our per theater averages for the past weekend. Martin McDonough's new film, The Banshees of Inisherin, which is one of my favorite movies of the year. It's a reunion between Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. I'm gonna do a review of it here on the channel as it expands because I want people to be able to go out and see it if they see my review. It was open in only four theaters, I believe two in New York, two in Los Angeles, but it did $46,000 in each of those four theaters. We'll see how that ranks for 2022 overall. After Sun also opened in limited release in four theaters and did $16,589 per theater. Black Adam in its 4,400 theaters generated $15,221 per theater. So a lot of very happy theater managers and owners this past weekend. All That Breathes, which is an award-winning documentary, there's a lot of buzz around it, played in just one theater for an $8,177 gross. And then Boblo Boats, a Detroit fairy tale, again playing in just one theater, was able to make it onto this chart with just over $7,000. You see this a lot. There's a movie that's playing a specialty festival or a specialty event that really generates a crowd. They can make it right on this chart with Black Adam. I mentioned The Banshees of Innicharan and its high per theater average. It actually had the second best per theater average of the year so far. Everything Everywhere All at Once still has the top mark. It generated $50,905 per theater in 10 theaters when it opened back in March. Then we have The Banshees of Inisherin with its $46,000 average in four theaters. That knocks Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness down to the third spot with its $41,000 per theater average in 4,534 theaters, so still the best for any wide release this year. Tar is dropped down to number four with $39,655 in four theaters. And then from back in August, Bodies, 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 which generated $37,776 in six theaters on its opening weekend. Looking at movies that were in limited release, so these are 1,000 theaters or fewer, perhaps for the last weekend, we'll be listing Terrifier 2, which played in 755 theaters in its third week and generated a gross of $1.7 million. Triangle of Sadness expanded to 280 theaters and brought in just over $600,000. Tar expanded to 141 theaters and brought in over half a million dollars. Till also expanded to 104 theaters. It will be going into wide release this upcoming weekend. It generated $363,000 in 104 theaters. And at number five is Park Chan-wook's film Decision to Leave, which went into 48 theaters in its second week and generated nearly $300,000 total. These are the 10 highest grossing films playing in limited release for 2022. So these are movies that never broke that 1,000 theater barrier, or I stopped counting their gross when they did break that 1,000 theater barrier. Brahmastra part one, Shiva is still at number one, followed by BTS, Permission to Dance, KGF chapter two, Marcel the Shell with Shoes on, and Orphan First Kill. But making a play for that top five is Terrifier two, which enters the chart at number six and a $5.1 million total. Pony and Selvan Part 1 drops down to number 7. Moon Age Daydream drops down to number 8. Cyrano drops to number 9. Lal Singh Chada drops to number 10. And dropping off of the list is the portion of Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris's release when it was playing in fewer than 1,000 theaters. One note, I mentioned last week that Clerks 3 from Kevin Smith was close to making this chart. However, upon closer examination, I saw that on its first three days of release during its Fathom event, it actually played in over 1,000 theaters, which would qualify as a wide release. So consequently, Clerks 3 is not eligible to be on this chart, or it would be this week. Sometimes you just have to disqualify a film for a technicality, and unfortunately, Clerks 3 was one of those movies. We'll get back into our box office deep dive in just a moment, but before we do that, I'm still preparing my review of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power for season one, but if you are in need of a deep dive on that show, then this week's sponsor is right up your alley. Take it away, Felicia Day. I'm Felicia Day, and I'm the host of the official The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power podcast. In every episode, I'm going backstage for an all-access look at what it took to bring Middle Earth to life. I'll even have the first full breakdown of the incredible season finale with the series showrunners, J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. I will be sharing juicy behind-the-scenes stories and processing all the holy crap moments with the members of the cast and crew. Numenor has got to be the most amazing thing ever and we wanted it to just be the greatest kingdom of men that ever existed. The elves are arrogant and vain. They're not beyond being corrupted. Can can I just say watching Owen Arthur eat in his full regalia is the most hilarious thing. So if you want to deep dive into every episode, watch The Rings of Power on Prime Video and listen to all eight episodes of the official The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power podcast for free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app now. Let's turn our focus now from our domestic box office to everywhere else outside of the United States and Canada. These are the top five films internationally. Black Adam, also big outside the domestic marketplace with a $73 million total. Smile at number two with a $10 million total, followed by China's Homecoming with $7.7 million, Halloween Ends with $6.2 million, And then Ticket to Paradise, which has been open in the international market for about a month now with $4.7 million. So when you take the international grosses, you combine them with the domestic grosses, we get our top five films worldwide. And you can see that Black Adam with a $140 million worldwide debut, not too bad. For any movie, really. Ticket to Paradise is at number two with 21.3 million, followed by Smile with 18.4 million. That movie is well over $100 million worldwide at this point. Halloween Ends drops to number four with $14.2 million worldwide, and then Lyle Lyle Crocodile, good enough for number five with an $8.2 million total. No change at our 2022 domestic box office thus far, although it looks like Black Adam has a great shot at entering this top 10 and Black Panther Wakanda Forever will likely enter this top 10 on its opening weekend. But for now, it's pretty well settled. Actually, when you look at this, eight of these 10 movies have finished their box office runs completely with Top Gun Maverick and Minions The Rise of Gru likely to finalize their totals in the very near future. But Top Gun Maverick remains at number one with $716.3 million, followed by Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Jurassic World Dominion The Batman and Minions The Rise of Gru to complete the top 5 Thor 11 Thunder remains at number 6 followed by Sonic the Hedgehog 2 Elvis Uncharted and Nope so kind of a post-summer fall lull in that top 10 although it's likely to be shaken up soon also no change in the worldwide box office for the year. Top Gun Maverick, Jurassic World Dominion, and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness remain the top three. Minions, The Rise of Gru, and The Batman round out the top five. Then at number six through 10, we've got Thor Love and Thunder, The Battle at Lake Chung Jin 2, Moon Man, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, and Sonic the Hedgehog 2 at number 10. This is the point in the show where we not only take a look back at a weekend from box office past, but I think I've decided I also would like to weekly, uh, if it's so called, for use this part of the show to remember somebody who has contributed to the legacy of entertainment, film, television, etc. And there was actually a name who I did not mention last week because uh, I wanted to speak about Angela Lansbury, and that is Robbie Coltrane, who sadly passed away last week, reportedly after a long battle with illness. Most people of a couple different generations and many generations in the future, likely to know Robbie Coltrane best as Hagrid from the Harry Potter films. One of those cases where it really seemed like an actor was born for that role. My first exposure to Robbie Coltrane was actually in a couple of the Pierce Brosnan and James Bond films. He played Sukovsky, who was a Russian ally slash nemesis of Bonds. He played that with a real cheeky sense of humor and that was the first time I remember ever seeing Robbie Coltrane. He was also the star of a very influential crime drama in the UK called Cracker, which had many series that aired over many different years. When you read the remembrances of Robbie Coltrane, almost to a person, he seemed to be a very warm and giving person, a very warm and giving actor, who, especially in the Harry Potter series, really helped to usher these young actors into the world, not only of Harry Potter on screen, but of acting on off screen. And it was touching to hear all of the words of kindness uh, shared from those stars as well. And really, when you think about it, he has got one of those moments that I think is going to be a part of cinema history forever. Him saying, you're a wizard, Harry. You're a wizard, Harry. That is going to be in so many montages when people talk about fantasy movies and the magic of movies and kids' movies for so many years. It's one of those legacies that is going to outlive not only him, but many of us that are here. And it also seems something that Robbie Coltrane was very acutely aware of in a documentary that was released called Return to Hogwarts on HBO just this year. You could be watching it in 50 years' time. Easy. I'll not be here, sadly, but... (laughs) But Hagrid will, yes. So let's flash back now to a weekend in box office history, and we're going to go back 15 years to October 19th through the 21st, 2007. And it's weird how these things work out sometimes. 15 years ago this weekend, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and George Clooney also shared the top five with two different movies, although they were not the number one and number two movie at the box office. At number one was the horror film, 30 Days of Night from director David Slade, which I think is growing a bit of a cult following over time. Tyler Perry's Why Did I Get Married was in second place and its second. Second week with a 42.9% drop then in third place was the game plan starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson as he was then credited in its fourth week with a 25.9% total so in the middle of a pretty strong box office performance there George Clooney's Michael Clayton, which was a big Oscar movie that year, in its third week was at number four with $6.6 million total and a 35.6% drop. So a decade and a half later, they are adjacent to each other once again with two films in very different genres. And then at number five was the sports parody comedy The Comebacks, which is maybe one of the worst names for a movie that I've ever heard. It debuted in fifth place with $5.5 million. And as we started doing last week, I'm going to hit the inflation button to show you what those openings would have looked like today. That would have put 30 Days of Night at $20.8 million total, followed by Why Did I Get Married at $15.9 million, The Game Plan at $10.7 million, Michael Clayton at $7.2 million, and The Comebacks at just over $7 million. So not quite as dramatic as when we'll do weekends from the 80s, etc. But I think it's still fun to just kind of put things into context and bring these things into the current day as it were. Why don't we turn our attention now from what people are watching in theaters to what people are watching at home through various streaming services, and we will start, as we always do, with the iTunes charts to see what people are renting. At number one is Bullet Train, which displaces Top Gun Maverick by virtue of becoming available not just for purchase, but also for rental. Top Gun Maverick drops to number two, although I wouldn't be shocked if it jumps back up to that number one spot. Universal negotiated a very generous window when it comes to their films, particularly ones that underperform at the box office, and that's why Rose is already available for purchase and premium video on demand. It's at number three. The film Fall, which I have not seen, but which I actually heard is pretty solid, I may have to check it out. It's available for rental now as well, and it is there at number four. Where the Crawdads Sing is at number five. Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is now available for rental, which is probably why it's there at number six. Manions The Rise of Gru is at number seven. Vengeance at number eight. Jurassic World Dominion at number nine. And Thor, Love and Thunder available for purchase and rental comes back onto the chart at number 10. Let's look at the most watched programs on Netflix. This is for October 10th through the 16th, and this is using my global Merle metric where I generate what I call a PFV number or number of potential finished views I take the runtime of the program I divide it by the number of hours watched and that gives me the number of Netflix users that could potentially have finished viewing the entire thing. It's not a perfect number but it does kind of help put things into context. At number one is Luckiest Girl Alive starring Mila Kunis in its second week of release with a PFE of 29.7 meaning 29.7 million Netflix users could potentially have finished viewing that movie the Watcher season one which I've heard good and bad things about debuts on the chart at number two with a 22.4 PFV the Curse of Bridge Hollow starring Marlon Wayans is at number three with a PFV of 16.5 then Josh Duhamel and Blackout is at number four with a 15.6 PFV The Brazilian comedy Someone Borrowed is at number five with a PFE of 15.4. Then we have the program that was number one for the last couple weeks, Dahmer Monster, which still generated over 122 million hours watched and a PFE of 13.9. More on that series in just a moment. Mr. Harrigan's Phone is at number seven. Conversations with the Killer Jeffrey Dahmer drops to number eight. Old People, which is a German horror film where geriatrics are out for blood. That sounds like kind of an interesting movie. 13.4 million hours watched for a PFV of 8.0. And then at number 10, High Water Season 1 with 31 million hours watched and a PFV of 7.1. I mentioned there's more to say about the Dahmer series and that is that it has now broken into the 10 most watched programs of 2022 as judged by Pfv. You see here that the top 5 remain the same. The Adam Project was Stranger Things 4 right behind it, followed by The Gray Man, Purple Hearts and Hustle. The Sea Beast remains at number 6, but you see now that Dahmer Monster debuts at number seven with almost 1 billion hours watched, 150,000 hours watched, and a PFV of 93.3, meaning 93.3 million potentially finished views. That drops Bridgerton season two down one spot, the man from Toronto down one spot, the tender swindler down one spot, and then the Netflix original movie senior year starring Rebel Wilson, drops out of the top 10 altogether. Let's look at the streaming numbers coming out of Nielsen. Now these are not perfect numbers. They're delayed by about a month. So this is for the week of September 19th to the 25th. This is by total hours viewed and it doesn't include all streaming services, although it does include most at this point. When we look at the most watched streaming movies, Father Stew on Netflix is at number one with 11.9 million hours watched, followed by the debut of Lou on Netflix with 11.3 million hours watched. Do Revenge is at number three, followed by Thor 11 Thunder and Pinocchio, both on Disney+. Plus. A Jazzman's Blues debuts at number six with 4.1 million hours watched, followed by Despicable Me 2 and Sing 2. This is the end on Netflix debuts on the list at 3.5 million hours watched. And then at number 10, the perennial favorite Encanto on Disney+, Plus with 3.2 million hours watched. Let's look now at the 10 most watched streaming shows and this is by Total Hours watched. We will look at a different metric in just a moment and going back again to the week of September 19th to the 25th, this was the debut of Dahmer and it is number one on this list with a total of 60.9 million hours watched by a factor of over three times the most watched show on any of the streaming services that Nielsen is able to measure. Cobra Kai is at number two with 18.5 million hours watched, followed by House of the Dragon with 16.8 million an hour's watch. It should be noted this is streaming only, so this does not include people that watched on HBO traditionally through cable providers. It actually tops Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, which is just behind at 16.2 million hours watched. In the Darks at number 5 with 15.3 million hours watched. The debut of Fate the Wink Saga on Netflix at number 7 with 11.2 million hours. At number 8, another debut, El Rey Vicente Fernandez with 10.8 million hours watched. Then NCIS on Netflix and also making a debut Andor on Disney Plus with a total of 10.4 million hours watched. This would have been the debut week of Andor meaning that it had three available episodes which is probably why it has such high watch time but it's not just a high watch time for the show in general because when we look at watch time per episode meaning of all the hours watched when you divide it by how many number of episodes are available which shows come out on top Andor actually performs really well there as well. Dahmer has the best watch time per episode 10 episodes we have the full run so this is not a weekly release but an hours watched per episode of 6.1 million but there you see it number two and or with its three episodes 3.47 million watch time per episode that's good enough for number two topping lord of the rings the rings of power five available episodes with a watch time per episode of 3.26 million closing that gap though week by week is house of the dragon it's at number four with a watch time per episode of 2.8 million through hbo max streaming there's a big drop but we have fate the wink saga at number five with a watch time per episode of 865,385 hours Coco Melons at number 6, followed by Cobra Kai, El Rey Vicente Fernandez, In the Dark at number 9, and The Crown with a watch time per episode of 243,750. She-Hulk Attorney at Law has been on this chart for the last couple weeks, but it was not among the 10 most watched original programs as reported by Nielsen, so I do not have that data for this week. And that wraps up Charts for this week. We have gone over a lot, so let's just start wrapping it up. It is another busy week as we head toward the end of the year. Starting on Wednesday, Disney Plus begins streaming its animated special, Tales of the Jedi, so a new entry into the Star Wars universe. Also on Wednesday, Netflix begins streaming the Eddie Redmayne and Jessica Chastain based on a true story film, The Good Nurse. Till opens wide this weekend, as does a new horror film, Pray for the Devil, so those are two new wide releases you can head out to see in theater. Among the film's opening in limited release is Armageddon Time, co-starring many, many people, including Anne Hathaway and Anthony Hopkins. This is the follow-up from director James Gray. His last film was 2019's Brad Pitt sci-fi epic Ad Astra. Also opening in limited release, a movie that played Sundance earlier this year, the abortion drama Call Jane, which is very timely given real-life events that followed its debut on the film festival circuit. Call Jane co-stars Elizabeth Banks and Sigourney Weaver, and as I mentioned, will be playing in limited release. Also streaming this weekend on Netflix is a movie that has received quite a bit of Oscar buzz. It's a film out of Germany, but it is an adaptation of the classic war story, All Quiet on the Western Front. And it's another movie I'm very much looking forward to seeing. And that wraps us up for this week. Stay tuned here on the channel. I've got some reviews coming this week. I also have another Halloween-themed ranking video that'll be hitting very soon that I'm working on. Very diligently, I'm excited to bring you. Thank you, as always, to my partner, Carbon Health. But most of all, thank you for choosing to spend part of your day with me. I'll be right back here with more movie news, reviews, and more. Until then, stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Bye.